Father, thank you that we can gather now and continue to worship you. Uh, You have drawn us into your presence and you have enabled us to think great thoughts about you and to revel in your love and to um, recognize your goodness with us, your presence in our lives, your ever-abiding presence. And um, it's been encouraging, Father. It's warmed my heart to just be reminded of these truths. And now as we come to your word, uh, will you speak again uh, clearly to us? Um, would you open the eyes of our mind and our heart to understand uh, the things that we're going to talk about this morning? And may we leave here um, rejoicing in our salvation. May the reality of that phrase, I sing to you forgiven, may that increase the decibel of our song just a little bit as we reflect on, um, on our salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we are, as Dan mentioned, continuing to look at some of these uh, basics. And there's a lot of basics to our Christian faith, but I don't think there's anything more basic, really, than uh, at least as it relates to our salvation, than understanding the topic that we're looking at this morning. And uh, the topic is justification. I was going to try and deal with both justification and adoption. But I, I just kind of got going and I thought, you know, we, we better not confuse or muddy the waters. Let's deal with one main issue at a time. And so this morning our, our topic is justification. And I hope you will understand what that means as uh, it unfolds through the message. Let me just begin by a definition that if you've got a bulletin, it's right in that bulletin on uh, the sheet of paper there. It's one for, that comes from Wayne Grudem. And uh, this is how he defines justification. When somebody responds to God's call in repentance and faith, God responds to that faith by thinking of that person's sins as forgiven and by thinking of Christ's righteousness as belonging to that person. At that very moment, God also declares that person to be righteous in his sight. This act of God is called justification. Justification is an instantaneous legal act of God in which he, one, thinks of our sins as forgiven, and two, declares us to be just or morally right in his sight. We will never come to understand or appreciate uh, or even sense our need for justification until we come to understand our sinful nature and the desperate plight that we are all in as humanity. We will understand what God has done for us until we understand the degree and the gravity of our situation before God. For the moment that you or I sin, we are at odds with God. And in fact, as the Bible speaks, the moment of our conception, we already receive a sin nature and we are at odds with God. And the question then is, so what then can we do to satisfy the requirements of God on us for having failed to meet those requirements? Or put another way, what can we do to pay the penalty for our sins? How can we ever come before God and and, and not only say, I'm sorry, but make up for the things that we have done that have offended him and have broken his law before us? In a real um, difficult way, the truth of the matter is every single human being is under a death sentence before God. I can't think of any other way to put it than that. We are all under a death sentence before God. How can we have that death sentence commuted? How can the penalty for our crimes be paid so we can justly walk away a free man 
or a free woman. It was wrestling with this issue that caused Martin Luther such stress and then finally one day caused him to have such release. Martin Luther had tried everything to reconcile the difference between his sinfulness and the righteousness of God. He had tried sleeping on hard floors. He had tried going without food. He had even tried climbing a staircase in Rome on his hands and his knees, but to no avail. He just never thought he could do enough. All his teachers were saying, Martin, Martin, you've done enough. Martin, God is satisfied. Martin, you've atoned for your sins. But so deep was his sense of sin, so true was his apprehension of his sinfulness, that he still was not at peace with God. He had been studying the book of Psalms, and as he read the book of Psalms, they had often mentioned in there the righteousness of God, the purity of God, the justice of God, all encapsulated in that phrase, the righteousness of God. And he understood it rightly to be a righteousness of God in which he rightly punishes sinners, that he rightly condemns us in our sin. And so Luther knew that he was a sinner, and every time he saw that word righteousness, all he saw was red. He burned in anger as he reflected on the fact that this God was justly wrathful towards him because of his sins. One day, he opened his Bible in the book of Romans, and there he read about the gospel of Christ, which was the power of God unto salvation. And immediately, his heart started to skip a few beats. Because he thought, yes, finally, there is relief to my situation. But the very next verse said to him, but therein is the righteousness of God revealed. There was that word again, that word righteousness that just brought him to seeing red once again. And so his depression returned and it got worse as he went on to read about how the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness towards all ungodly people. So Luther worked his way back again a couple verses to verse 17. And he thought to himself, how can that ever be written? How terrible a word it is to write that there is a gospel, but then once again to write about the wrath of God. Had he misunderstood the text? As he read again, he said, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And That's when he had an aha moment. That's when all of a sudden he realized that what Paul was talking about was a righteousness that came from God. A righteousness that God would give to him. A righteousness that was outside of himself. A righteousness which was not God's punitive justice, but rather a gift of God to a needy sinner. A righteousness which is not earned, which is not worked for, which is not um, uh, given by one's ability to keep the law, but is simply one that is accepted by faith. And that righteousness is a gift of God, and it's the spotless, perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's a righteousness that is earned by Christ, and that God credits to a person when they believe that Jesus Christ died and lived in their place. You see, it's the heart of the gospel, loved ones. If we get it wrong here, we will get it wrong for the rest of our Christian walk. Martin Martin Lloyd-Jones has written a book, Spiritual Depression. And what he is talking about is the spiritual aggravation that comes to a Christian as they walk with God when they have got it wrong at this point. 
If we don't get it right here, we will be messed up as we continue to walk with God as his children. And it begins with understanding the fact that every single human being is a sinner. Every human being is under the wrath of God. And it's what Joseph realized when he was tempted with, uh, with um, Potiphar's wife. And he said to her, but how can I do this great thing and sin against God? Or like David when he was finally under conviction about his adultery with Bathsheba and then his murder of Uriah. He said, against you and you only have I sinned. He recognized that this problem was, yes, it was with mankind, but ultimately his problem was with God. And Romans 1 to 3 puts this before us, that both Jew and Gentile have sinned. That every single one, without exception, is under sin. So what do we do? What is our hope? How can we ever have a hope of being right with God? Well, that's where Paul talks now at verse 22 of Romans chapter 3. And he begins immediately by giving us this amazing picture of hope. And it begins with those two words, but now. It's a contrast that's being drawn. It's all of a sudden this this word of hope. It's this realization that things have changed. It's this realization that God is now stepping into our dire situation. And it says, but now we have a righteousness that has been, a righteousness of God that is manifested to us apart from the law. Uh, As Dan read from the, the pulpit this morning, God has shown us a way to be right with him that is outside of ourselves. In other words, God has now provided for us what we are unable to provide for ourselves. He's saying that there is a righteousness that comes from outside of ourselves. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We can't buy it. But God has provided it for us from within himself. This is what Martin Luther discovered. It's as he wrestled with this, all of a sudden his eyes were opened that God had done for him what he could not do for himself. And right now, this should begin to pique our interest as God's children. For the one thing, it should fill us with hope and with gratitude. Because if you have been wrestling, even as a Christian, with trying to earn God's favor, you know you can never do enough. You know that that even though you do 18 things well, one day you're going to tell a lie or you're going to have a lustful thought or you're going to covet something of your neighbor or you're going to worship an idol and it all comes crashing down and once again you find that even your own attempts to please God are futile. And this should be great hope. Or for those who maybe are here this morning, you've just given up. And you've said, I cannot please God. I know it. I've tried. I've tried for years. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I keep failing and I'm done with it. I'm giving up. I'm going to live without God. This is hope, loved ones. Because this is where God says, I have a gift for you. It's something you can't earn. It's something you don't deserve. But it's a righteousness that I will give to you if you will but put your faith in my son, Jesus Christ. And in fact, it's not anything really new. That's what he goes on and he says uh, in in, um, in verse uh, 21, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. In other words, this righteousness from God has already been revealed in the Old Testament. And there's lots of places we can find that. Uh, For instance, in Psalm 32, verse 2, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. 
The psalmist said, I acknowledged my sin to you, and, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will, cover, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. There it is. There is forgiveness of sins. Or in Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Do you hear that? He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. In other words, God doesn't give us what we deserve. Rather, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards us, to those who fear him, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Or Micah. Verse 7, or chapter 7, verse 18. Come in. Who is a pardoning God like you? In other words, I don't see this anywhere else, but there is forgiveness with God. You pardon iniquity. You pass over our transgressions. How does God pass over our transgressions? How does he tread our iniquities underfoot? How does he take our sins and cast them into the depths of the sea? Or Psalm 130, O Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? If you held me to account, I would tremble and fall flat on my face. But with you, there is forgiveness of sins. How? Then we come to Isaiah chapter 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his stripes we are are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him... The iniquity of us all. Do you see, beloved, how even in the Old Testament, we're beginning to see how God doesn't treat us as we deserve. How God forgives us. How does God forgive us? By taking our sins and placing them upon his son. And so we find that what Paul is saying is nothing new. And if I, if I don't and I can't earn it then, how do I become righteous? You've just told us, Paul, I can't earn it, and I don't deserve it, so how do I become righteous? Well, in verse 22, Paul says there that, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There it is. There it is. We receive the righteousness of God through faith. This is just a mind-blowing truth. Because, because as we read it properly, it tells me I don't have to do anything for it. I don't have to earn it. I can't buy it. I don't inherit it. I just receive it through faith. It also humbles me in the sense that it levels the playing field. Justification then is not tied to my education. It's not tied to my bank account. It's not tied to my family heritage. It's not tied to privilege. It's not tied to anything else. The leveling field or the playing field is absolutely level. No matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter what our IQ, no matter what our wealth, we come to the same place, the cross of Jesus Christ. And through faith in Jesus, we are made Paul. 
and it deals with my pride. You know, we all want to say, well, you know, God loves me because I give just a little bit more than anybody else. You know, God has justified me because I've attended church faithfully 51 weeks out of every year. Or God loves me because I do a lot of good works in the community. Not like that other person who just sits at home all day. Justification wipes out any grounds for pride or boasting. And it is through faith and faith alone that we are justified. So the righteousness that God gives to us, the righteousness from God is not earned, it's not bought, it's simply received through faith. Why do we need this gift of righteousness from God? Here is just the critical part. Why do we need this righteousness? What does Paul say in verse 22 to verse 24? There is no distinction. Every one of us is in the same boat. What does he say? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace. This is about as succinct a statement on the moral condition of mankind that you will find anywhere. And it is one of the hardest things for mankind to accept. For all have sinned. All have sinned. Without exception. Everywhere in the world, anyone who has ever been born has sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. That means we fall short of God's standard. We know what God's standard is. As the Bible says, we are without excuse. We fall short of his standard. And therefore, as Paul says in another place, the wages of sin is death. And that verb, fall short, is a verb that's in the present continuous um, state. So it means that we continue to sin. It's not just I sin and now I'm forgiven and I never sin again. Every one of us here, if we're honest, we continue to sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There are people who feel uneasy with the word sin or the word law. I know that. You know that. You've had that as you communicate in the world as you communicate in workplaces, people don't like the word sin. In fact, as a culture, we are doing everything we can to eradicate sin and law from our lives so we hopefully then can eradicate shame and guilt from our lives. But loved ones, through the knowledge of the law, or through the law comes a knowledge of sin. If I stop proclaiming God's standard here, then somebody walks in and they never know they fall short of God's standard and then they never know they need a savior. If we start talking about sin, then people start thinking that there's nothing really wrong with them and they have no need of a savior. Loved ones, we have to speak of sin. We have to talk of the law because that is what reminds people, that is what brings people to the realization that there is this huge gulf that exists between them and God. That is why we need the gift of righteousness. God's free gift given to us. How is our predicament resolved then? How does God go about dealing with this? Well, you look at verse 24 and 25. How do you ask? Well, he says, through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to receive by faith. Two big words, but two absolutely important things that we need to understand. Redemption. 
redemption. Redemption is a word that, that presupposes some kind of bondage or some kind of slavery. The Bible tells us that um, we are in moral slavery. That because of our sin, because of our law breaking, we are held captive. We are prisoners to the law. We are held captives by Satan. We are prisoners to our own impulses, to our own flesh. And unless a ransom is paid, unless a penalty is paid, then we are in trouble. But the Bible tells us very clearly that Jesus Christ has paid the ransom price for us. That Jesus Christ has paid the fee to get us out of jail, so to speak. That we have been bought with a price. And what is the price of our ransom or our redemption? It's the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we see these kidnapping situations unfold and you know even sometimes you see them on tv and somebody is kidnapped and so the the kidnappers request a ransom and they start really high and then they there's bickering and there's debate and you know they might start at two million dollars and then they end at fifty thousand dollars and everyone's happy and the person goes back free and the ransom is paid there's no bickering with god psalm 130 says this hope in the lord For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is plentiful redemption. Do you understand? There's no bickering. There's nothing, nobody that can come to God and say, that's not enough. There's plentiful redemption. The ransom price is paid in full and more than pays enough for the penalty of your sins and of my sins. And then that word propitiation. It's a biblical word. It's not a word that's common to our language, but to propitiate means to satisfy the anger of. Do you know that God is angry towards us for our sins? And he is justly angry towards us for our sins. And the way that God's anger towards us is satisfied for our sins is that he punishes our sins. His anger is not a human anger. It's not a capricious anger. It's a just anger because we have disobeyed him. And so all of us are under the wrath of God. All of us are under the just wrath of God. But what does God do? He puts forth his son as a propitiation for our sins. In other words, God pours out his wrath upon his son which should have been poured out on us. Christ has borne the full weight of the penalty of our sins in himself. That is why he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he felt the full weight of the wrath of God. God, that or loved ones, God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. This is why we need a Savior. We're in bondage. We're under his wrath. And choose your image this morning. It could be that of a uh, worshiper living in fear and dread and of an offended God, and they've got some shrine somewhere, and they bring some vegetables, or they might bring a, a squirrel that they've killed, or they might bring something and offer it to the God in hope that that offering would somehow appease the wrath of God. Others have offered the fruit of their womb to gods in hoping that that would appease the wrath of gods upon them. But we know that on the cross, Jesus Christ, 
Christ bore the full weight of the wrath of God that we deserve. That's why we can sing to him forgiven. Because of God's work on the cross and his wrath poured out on Jesus Christ. Why did God put Jesus forth as a propitiation for our sins? Verse 25 and 26. To be the just or to be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. See, this is important for us to remember. God, loved ones, he doesn't, do you remember, remember is it 1 Corinthians 13 that says, love keeps no record of wrongs. One of the things I hear sometimes in counseling, uh, you know, over and over is that I thought I was forgiven, but every time we have a fight, they bring it up again. I thought I was forgiven, but every time we have a fight, they bring it up again. Love has not forgotten the wrong. And so if God just took our sins and swept them under a carpet, never really dealt with them, then we would always live in fear that one day God would lift up that carpet and go, ah, look at what we've got here. But God doesn't do that. See, that punishes our sins in Christ. He pays the full ransom price of our sins in Christ. Therefore, they are not swept under the carpet. God hasn't looked the other way. The full weight of his justice has been fulfilled. He has been satisfied. The penalty for our sins is paid. Our curse is dealt with. So God then can not only be the one who is just because he punishes our sins, but he can be the justifier. He can say, I declare you righteous in Christ. And that is what he does. So what is the conclusion of all this? Paul says then in verse 27, what then becomes of our boasting? We have no boasting, do we, loved ones? There's nothing to be boast, boasting in. Is it, it's excluded. By what kind of the law? By a law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we hold that one who is justified by, or we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. See that? Did you get that? God has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And in God, we have a righteousness from heaven, a righteousness that comes to us through Jesus Christ. I was reading, and I think this is true, one has suggested that answer 60 of the Heidelberg uh, uh, Catechism is one of the most beautiful, heartwarming descriptions of justification ever written. Let me read it to you. The question, and it poses as a question and answer. Question, how are you right before God? Answer, only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commands and of never having kept any of them, and even though I am still inclined towards all evil, nevertheless, without my deserving it at all, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is accept this gift of God with a believing heart. That's it. Do you want to be saved this morning? Do you want to be forgiven from your sins? Do you want to be released from this crushing weight that you feel to have to earn God's love? Then accept the free gift that God offers of righteousness through Christ Jesus. Is your heart at rest? 
Romans 5.1, and this is where we draw it to a conclusion. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of God's glory. Hear those two phrases, access to God. Loved ones, when you are justified, you have access to God as Jesus Christ has access. You can boldly go with confidence into the throne room of God without fear that he will turn you away. And more than that, he says, and we have peace with God. Do you know what that means? That means I have no fear that God is going to whack me over the side of the head. It means that I have no fear that, that, that my guilt is not dealt with. In fact, as it puts it in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That brings peace because I have nothing to worry about. I'm not accused of anything. In fact, I'm not even guilty of anything because I am justified before God. If God is for us, who can be against us? He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who shall, or who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who has raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written. For your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Loved ones, how do you solve the problem your sins have created? How do you avert the just wrath of God directed towards you? You don't, and you can't. But there is a righteousness from God that we receive by faith in Jesus Christ. And as Isaiah the prophet said, all you need to do is look to Christ and be saved.